Welcome to the Church for Dummies podcast, where we explain church history and ecclesiology to dumb people like us. Now here are your hosts, Josh Whitney and Isaac Thibodeau. Top of the morning to ya. Hey man. How you doing? Dude. It's been a long time. It's it's been a long time, but they well, not know. to the listeners. They to won't the listeners, be like, it's been a very consistent <laughs> amount of time. Because obviously, every person listening to this just knows that we record like the day before we release, and that's how they come out so evenly timed. Right. And whenever we say, hey, man, how have you been? It's totally genuine. It's totally genuine. <laughs> and it's not as if we've recorded two episodes. We actually haven't right now. Right. So we can so be it genuine. Is genuine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be making this bigger than what it is. <laughs> How's you, how have you been? Dude, man, I've I've been. I mean, you've been working. Yep. Working from home, not too shab. Right. What about you? Well, um, things have been going well. I did a thing. What's that thing on your arm? So I got my very first tattoo. I'm going to be 30 in a couple of months. So this is this was not a special spontaneous spur of the moment thing. It's something I've always thought about. I've had different ideas, but this is the first one that I thought it's simple enough with a great meaning that it's something that I actually want on me forever because it's not, it's nothing sentimental. So if anyone has seen um, American Gospel, it comes from the American Gospel to Christ crucified when they're talking about how God's love and God's wrath are not separate things, but that is part of who he is. Mm -hmm. And they showed a heart that has, um, it's half red, like a half red heart, and the other half is, it looks like fire. So it's one heart that has half red like a Valentine's heart, and one half of the heart is made out of fire, and it represents God, God's love and God's wrath. Oh, they are good. one thing. I thought, I thought it might represent heartburn. Everyone, so anytime I show someone this, like, oh, like heart fire. I'm like, no, not like heart fire. And then I get to explain it, which is always really fun for me, because it's one of my favorite, favorite, uh, doctrines of who God is, is that he is all loving and all wrath in a perfect way. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what's new with me. <laughs> nice, man. It's very exciting. Sometimes I would, you just look down and be like, oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah. My wife would kill me if I got a tattoo. <laughs> it's not for everyone. And I'm not one of those guys to be like, oh man, why wouldn't you get a tattoo? You have to want it and you have to absolutely think like you should get it. Other, you can't convince somebody to get a tattoo. I think right. that's silly. Sure, sure. Well, hey, man. So we are on the part three of Church Through the Ages. Yes, sir. So we have covered the early church mm -hmm. in many respects, the medieval church. And last time we talked about the Reformation. Oh. So what are we dealing with today? Today we're going to be going into the Age of Reason um, and and more specifically, a lot of our time, the Age of Reason uh, in New England with something called the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, but which that's a later part. We're a little like partial to this time period, anyways, because New England. Uh, no, I don't. No, I'm. I can. I can stay pretty biased. You know, separated. You can stay biased. Yeah. Can oh wait, unbiased. <laughs> Just no, I'm just point. being honest. I, I could be very biased about yeah, this. I guess so. I guess so. Well, we we live in New England, so we do. of course yeah. we love this. Oh this gosh, part. I love New England. It's pretty cool. Rich history. 
Yeah. Not yeah. that other people that live in the United States of the world don't have history or can't, but it's, or it's very rich. cool. I mean, or aren't rich. We have Connecticut. Yeah. We do have Connecticut. Yeah. Money, money. And we got Foxborough. You know, yeah. Dude, them crafts. Yeah. They make more than cheese. Yeah, dude. You sure know, do. They're part of the cheese. <laughs> Anyways, so age of reason, age of reason. <laughs> New so England. as you listeners will recall in our last couple episodes in part one and part two of this church through the ages, we've been trying to answer three main questions, Yep. which is how did the church govern? One. How did it expand Two. and how did it witness three? So this is by no means a comprehensive overview right. of the church because in future episodes, we will be dealing more specifically oh, with yeah. things. Um, but we like thought one of these, right? Yeah, like this where we're at. Yeah, exactly. Just like one time frame, and of course, we're we're looking at this primarily right now from a Protestant perspective because mm-hmm. um, that's who we are. We're Protestants. That's a, what we're most familiar with, um, and that's just kind of where we are in this this timeline, anyways. Right. Um, and one last thing we'll mention before we get into it um, for any listeners who are interested in learning more about church history, uh, there, there is a lot of resources out there, but it can kind of seem uh, scary and daunting. Um, and I would, I think Josh and I would both recommend this book called Church History in Plain Language. Mm-hmm. It is This such one's the fourth edition. Book. Yeah, we're, we're, we have been reading the fourth edition. It is so good, so balanced. Um, you'll even like it if you're Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, I think. Um, it's it's very well balanced. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, super super good, super informative. Uh, highly recommend it. And we've yeah. been kind of using that uh, as a loose outline for the last couple episodes. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's great. Cool. We were just talking about that before recording this. That you can really come from any perspective because he doesn't start missing details or trying to cover details to like save a certain point of view. He's just. I mean, it's a short book when we're talking. I mean, I have a book about the Reformation that's over 900 pages long. And this book that goes over church history, starting from the apostles to where he currently was writing from, this book is like six, uh, about 500 pages. So it's a very brief summarization. It's a very good read, too. But it's it's, it's not hard to understand. It is. It's not like you're reading dates and then the next page is different dates. It just reads like an excellent story. It's fantastic. Great book. Yeah. Great book. we're not getting paid to advertise this, by the way. No, it's so. just a great book. <laughs> it's just a great book. It really is. <laughs> Which is something new that I've been doing, too, reading a lot more. It's yeah. been great. Less TV, more reading. It's been awesome, especially, again, this book. Awesome, man. Yeah. Cool. Well, you want to kick us off with so, the first question? Yeah. So the first question we're getting into, how did the church govern? Um, we went into a little bit last time talking about the different streams of the Reformation. It wasn't just Protestants and then Protestants all grouped together and became Protestants. So you had one Catholic church and one Protestant church. <laughs> the, were... the Roman Catholic and the Protestant Catholic. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we claimed a much bigger sea. It was a way, it was a way better sea than the way Catholic sea. sea man. It was such a better sea. Well, way better waves over here. <laughs> Pretty gnarly, so, dude. Chabra. So where the Reformation had different different streams, different breakoffs, and then Protestantism in, in general, um, where we're coming here in the Age of Reason, 
um, taking place mostly in Western Europe and then um, into Americas, there are uh, essentially three basic stream runoffs when we start looking at this denominational breakdown of church government. Each one doing it a little bit differently, each one defining each one as we're about to go into some of the major players into this uh, into this portion of of church history, we're going to see why we they kind of separated. Right. And right. so those three things, Sir Isaac. Yeah. Well, there's there's more than three, but the, the main three on the, the New matter. England front of things <laughs> are the the main the main three when we're talking about this particular age of reason mm-hmm. in New England would be um, Baptist, Methodist, and Congregational. And, and of course, the Puritans as well, which are a little bit hard to define, um, but would probably, I would think, be a little bit more similar to Presbyterianism mm. um, in, their, in their structure. But yeah. we'll leave that aside, um, since we kind of covered that a little bit in the previous episode when we were talking about Reforma- the Reformation. Um, but primarily, um, how did the church govern? There's the... The Baptist view, which is similar to the Congregational, and then the Methodist view. So, um, with the Baptist view, probably most Americans, like who are Christians, um, if they're either non-denominational, run-of-the-mill, evangelical, whatever, mm-hmm. like what I'm about to describe is probably their default view of church government. Right, and that would be the an autonomous local church mm-hmm. whose authority is, of course, Jesus, but that's not really the point here. Um, the practical authority is the congregation itself led by a pastor or pastors. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the typical way that a church is run. There's not some hierarchical structure above a local church. Um, it's just the local church itself is right. its own authority, practically speaking. So Baptists and Congregationalists, very similar there. Um, but... Um, Baptists would probably emphasize more of the elder-led aspect of that. Um, and then we have the Methodists, um, which which is really important during this time because the Methodist structure of things is um, uh, very prominent during this time because of the Great Awakening, which we'll get into mm-hmm. uh, shortly, um, that was led by, um, it's really, well, it's led by a lot of people, but Methodism particularly by uh, John Wesley, mm-hmm. and um, his view is a lot, a lot more similar to um, kind of a weird blend of a- the Anglican view and the Reformed view of church government, where there right. was a hierarchical structure over other churches. There's either a council or some lead guy over it, kind of overseeing all these other churches, mm-hmm. um, which can lead to really good denominational unity, but as we see throughout church history, um, it's once it gets corrupted, once that hierarchical structure is corrupted with false doctrine or uh, liberalism, whatever, it trickles down and affects a lot of other things. Right. Um, Small plug to your other podcast, Simply Christian. You guys just went over this this last week going into domination. So if you guys are listening to this podcast and you haven't already heard of Simply Christian, they did a great episode on that. So... I don't know that Isaac wouldn't do it, but it's a great podcast in general. And that episode was really great. So I'd recommend seeing that too. You're such a sweet hat. I'm a good dude guy. Yeah. But <laughs> do you think we should maybe comment a little bit more on how like that church government 
kind of break down during this time or do you think that kind of covers it? Um, so I don't have a lot of strength in this area. That sums up just about what I would think it was. Um, especially in this time frame. obviously John Wesley, um, as we're reading, as I was reading through this book, you see a lot like that. He has such an administrative mind. So to create this kind of church denominational style was like just, just doing what he wanted to do. Not saying like he did whatever he wanted, but like that it was not hard for him thinking right. of this church structure. So um, in this specific age, we start seeing that created, but it's not a strong basis of how did the church govern in this particular time frame right now. So right. I would say that's definitely a good one. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, then let me ask you the next question, sir. Yes. How did the church expand? Mm-hmm. So, um, in some ways, the church kind of stopped expanding for the first portion of this. Um, like this age, as we read in this book, um, commonly known as the age of reason, um, to most secularism out there, it's also known as the Enlightenment period. And what happened in this time frame was the age, again, of reason, of... of um, Oh, gosh. Uh, of, <laughs> of reason and science gave way now, where we come from a time frame of Reformation and the fight against Catholicism, um, a huge, heavy focus on um, like Martin Luther's main point of justification. There's a lot of doctrine that was literally being fought over um, and trying to really hash out that this intellectual um, doctrine of what scripture was that what it led to was this, um, this break away from that with this age of science and reason. And there's a great quote from this book, um, that Bruce Shelley wrote, the middle ages and the reformation were centuries of faith in the sense that reason served faith. The mind obeyed authority to a Catholic. It was church authority to a Protestant biblical authority. The age of reason rejected that. In place of faith, it set reason. Man's primary concern was not the next life, but happiness and fulfillment in this world. Hmm. So really sacrificing, because um, that's what everything was pushed for. We talked a little bit about monasticism, like all of these things, sacrificing and doing all of these things to prepare for our next life. And as we saw different laws of nature coming about. We, that's, this is the time frame that we realize the earth doesn't, re not we realize, but that science uh, uh, study of the earth not revolving around, I'm sorry, the sun not revolving around the earth, but the earth revolving around the sun, all of these different ways and how nature, um, I th I'm trying to remember what page this was on, but talked about like a world machine. Like yeah. you could see how the world and the universe just operated and that put into men's hearts and men's minds like this is the way things work so we should maximize this while we're here and putting off um the next life and right. so it was full happiness here and now so the expansion didn't really start um because what you did <laughs> the expansion didn't really start until the end of this age of reason um and that's when we start getting into um, really the beginnings of the Great Awakening. 
starting right. here in New England and then branching off um, into England and to Western right. Europe, which, which would have been like early to mid 1700s. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that brings us now into our third part of this question, which is how did the church witness? Right. And this is probably the most interesting part. This, of this is going to probably be I the think. meat and potatoes of this <laughs> yeah, whole yeah, thing, because definitely. really age of there's tons of things you could get into with Pascal. Um, but really that's a great summing up and yeah. Yeah. I think that talking about the great awakening, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously it was a big deal. Like what happened during this time um, we really saw. So if you remember back to our, our first ep- our first episode in the series, we talked about how the early church, its main way of growth and evangelism was through individual witness mm. of people. There was no church, like huge church structure. It was not cool to be a Christian. It was not cultural. In fact, it was very dangerous to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people who professed to be Christians, they were legit. They were the, the real deal. So in... After that period, we really don't see anything similar to that because the church was just kind of in, integrated with society mm-hmm. and the government uh, to some degree or another. So you don't see these massive evangelistic things happening, really. Um, and we don't have a lot of cases of individual evangelism of, um, well, really of, of much kind. It definitely happened, of course. Um, sure. So it'd be impossible to say that it never happened, but right. you just look at a society right. that You're had the state picture. and church together. I mean, what else would you do? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So during this period of time, though, we see kind of a um, kind of a similar thing happen as what happened in the first couple of centuries, where there are many people who are not believing or are nominal at best. Mm-hmm. And there's this great revival, a great awakening um, of people to turn to the Christian faith and put their trust in Jesus as their Lord. And there's many things. Of course, we believe that the Spirit of God was at work doing things. It's probably the primary reason. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Bringing dead people to life and spiritually, you know, that's that's the way to do it. But um, there were many practical things that went on. Um, on how the church witnessed, and uh, we can kind of break these down, but there was street preaching, Mm. there was circuit-riding preaching, um, there was evangelizing the Native Americans that were there, Mm -hmm. um, all all sorts of things like that, and there was publishing of sermons and whatnot, books and whatnot. So um, so yeah, that's definitely how the, the church witnessed during that time frame. So let's break that down, like, so street preaching... Yeah. Like, what's your opinion on street preaching? <laughs> I, uh, man, it's in, like, now or well, or in here? Both. Okay. Both. Now, man, it, it's, then it was great. It's great now. Uh, John is a great sp- street preacher. But anyways, let's go back to, yes. to church history. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> to, to, to vary. Um, street preaching back then. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was like the, the foundation to what happened with the great awakening. The great yeah. awakening wasn't just this on like onset of just the spirit moving people becoming saved. There was, there was 
causality behind that. Again, like you mentioned, we believe that that's like the working of the Holy Spirit doing a mighty, a mighty work that only he can do. Um, but it really started with uh, George Whitfield um, going to where people were. And in this book, you hear um, him going to the coal mines and just preaching to these coal workers as they're coming out of the mines. So they're not they're not in their um, they're not in their homes. It's not like church. And he's you know people are in the market square. Like he's going to where they work, and as they're leaving work, he is just preaching to them. And people are coming and hearing this, and hearing sin, hearing the gospel, hearing. Um, uh, God's love where before was the, the growth and spurring of this age of reason, um, it, this, this gospel call kind of died in a sense. And so there was this man just preaching the gospel. Um, it was the beginning. It was the bones of what was about to happen in the great awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, that's where John Wesley came from because as you were saying, like evangelizing to the Native Americans, that's the original reason why Wesley came um, to the colony in Georgia. And then with several events happening, just did not go well for him. And he came back to America um, quite distraught about it because it did not go the way he thought, but eventually making his way back to America and meeting George Whitfield, where he tells him like, hey, you should come out to street preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Huge long story in a very short amount of time, but yeah, those yeah. that's the gist of how Wesley and Whitfield both became street preaching to these um, to these coal miners. Right, I think it's very interesting. Like what we just talked about before, with how there wasn't really a like a consistent type of evangelism going on that we can mm -hmm. see looking back um, prior to the Age of Reason. Age of Reason happens, and then the normal sort of assuming everyone's a Christian, um, it's part of society, mm -hmm. just kind of died. So that method of growing the church, if you will, uh, just wasn't working anymore because people weren't buying it. They weren't, it wasn't ingrained. Right. So something new needed to happen. Not to mention this new colony. Right. Like as much as people wanted to bring religious liberty here, which did happen, Puritans and the Pilgrims, a lot of people were just trying to get away too. And they're in this new colony where there is no church and state. There is no, right. which is one of the reasons why Wesley felt so defeated is because people felt free and they didn't want that. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. There is this whole new social dynamic that has never really existed before in history. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So Crazy times call for crazy, crazy measures and, uh, and crazy men preaching the gospel. Yeah, and we see that in the, kind of the next. It has to do with street preaching still, but uh, the circuit riding preachers. Yeah. So you can touch more on that, but basically, basically we have these pastors and these preachers who rode horseback or walked very long distances to preach the gospel to different towns, villages, cities. And they did this like this was what they did with their life. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. I'm trying to, uh, it was, I believe it was um, Whitfield who he said that on minimum, he, he traveled 4,500 miles a year doing this circuit preaching. 
going from city to city, um, state to state, colony to colony, on his horseback. Uh, in in this book, he says that he would give a lot of uh, he would give his horse a lot of rain so that he could write his sermons in between traveling from from city to city. Like as he's riding horseback, he's like jotting down as he's writing his sermon and creating his sermon. So by the time he got to his next place, he could start preaching that sermon. Um, so yeah, circuit riding preaching was huge, yeah. <laughs> a huge part of this great awakening. Yeah, exactly. And we, we can't miss this. Like it's not just these men that are super charismatic and that's what's doing it. Mm-hmm. Although that was probably somewhat the case they're probably good personalities in some respects george whitfield definitely big he's recorded as having this big booming voice right but then you have people in the other part of this great awakening like jonathan edwards right who probably wouldn't be considered charismatic (laughs) historically speaking yeah but it's the gospel that is the the power of God to salvation, as the scriptures say, and it's, mm. that's what that's what's going on here. Mm. Is it's not because these men are going long distances, and that just brings warm feelings to people inside <laughs> that that they would right. travel so long just to talk to me. Uh, it's because the gospel has power because right. it's the power of God to salvation mm-hmm. because the Holy Spirit works through His Word and and does a work through that gospel. Yeah. And that's what's going on here. And it, it's, it's awesome to see. Yeah. There was a, a, a region of people being thirsty, a huge drought of spiritualness in this, in this area between the age of reason, this new colony, um, people exploring new freedoms. And um, you see in recording a lot, I mean, I'm not of the belief that alcohol is a sin, but here you just hear a history recorded as a lot of taverns and um, saloons and drinking and just this kind of a strange, strange rebellion on morality. Right. Like husbands, like just not being with their families because they're at the bars and just. Right. And so um, I think that there was a growing emptyingness, emptiness going on in these people. And then the gospel comes through. Um, John, one of Jonathan Edwards, most famous sermons. If, if people who know who Jonathan Edwards is, they probably know this one sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God. And when you think of the charismatic movement of today, like what draws huge crowds, it's not that message of sinners in the hands of an angry God, but that was a, a, a message that gathered hundreds and converted many people um, now he he also has a lot of very beautiful writings aside from judgment and wrath, which I mean I just got a tattoo. I love the message of judgment and wrath because without that I would not have salvation. <laughs> right. But he wrote these other wonderful things um, t- to children, um, beautiful messages of of love and restoration. It's not just all doom and gloom and fire. But anyways, the point being. <laughs> It definitely was the gospel because most people listening to you're a sinner in the hand of an angry God is not one that draws crowds anymore. <laughs> you're yeah. called a bigot and a hateful person on, on the internets today for internets on the internets. No webs. Talking yeah. about stuff like that today. Yeah. Which probably would be a good, um, 
kind of a good way to close this episode. It's just to maybe a point of encouragement is seeing the darkness of that time mm. and the depravity, and then looking at our time mm. nowadays, God could do the same thing. Mm. God could have his way. Well, God always has his way, but he could um, cause many to to come to him and his spirit could work in such a way that many people repent and turn to Christ. Yeah. He could do that. And I mean, we have reason to think he, he will, at least in some regard, you know, right. it's, it's cool to, to see that throughout church history, but that means that we need to actually share the gospel with people. Yeah. We have a point in our history that didn't really, like we were just talking about, that didn't really exist before, before you had, the early church, you had the witness of those who saw Jesus. And then very short, uh, shortly after, you have like a, a standing um, state of obedience to the church. And that lasted for over a thousand years. And then you have the Reformation. And then you have times like this of a dying church where we're, uh, a, a thirsty, um, um, wanting people. And now we have a moment where evangelism, like how did the church witness? Like the church witnesses with us in a way that hasn't really existed before 200 years before that. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. We have a wonderful opportunity. That's, I mean, that's the whole reason we're doing this podcast is to show like where we came from to show sh church history. And these are the types of things we learn, like essentially three guys that grew more started preaching across um, the United States and in England to show the need of the gospel in every person's life. Awesome, man. Mic drop. Just not this one because we're recording with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that would be expensive. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's a wrap, I think. That's a wrap. This was a fun episode, man. I'm, I'm excited to continue doing these, and I'm looking forward to the next ones as well. Um, so... I think we'll have it in our outro, but just in case we forget to put it there, you can, um, if you want to support this podcast in any way, go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast listening platform. Um, give us an honest five-star review or a fake five-star review. We'll take both. Um, just leave <laughs> whatever it is. Just make sure it's a five-star review. <laughs> exactly, man. Cool. Awesome. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>